Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We are continuing a new series that we started last week entitled Out of Bondage, Out of Bondage into Abundance. Again, that's Out of Bondage into Abundance. And if you're wanting to follow along either the notes or the recordings, all of those should be available at our website which is new-life-ministries.org and if you follow the menus there you should be able to find both the messages and the recordings. I want to reaffirm again tonight that I am really uh, excited about the things that we're looking at in this Bible study and for me personally this is more than a Bible study this is something that God has been speaking to me about all throughout our 21 days of fasting and prayer and as I shared on the prayer line last night uh, there were some amazing confirmations this past Sunday through Prophet Brian Davis's visit to our church and I'll go into a little more detail about that later on tonight, but uh, this picture that we are looking at is a predominant theme throughout the Bible, and it's not just Old Testament history, it's, it's definitely that, but it's something way beyond that. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit can enlighten our eyes and see beyond the Old Testament history and get a clear vision in our minds of where God has taken us from and where he's taking us to and it's very exciting when you understand that you're on a journey with God it has a starting point and it has an ending point and quite simply as the title of this series indicates he's taken us out of some place but he's taking us into another place we need to understand both we need to make sure that we've come out and we need to make sure that we're making all of the necessary steps to fully enter in to what God has already purposed planned and provided for us now I want to fill in some more details tonight from the Old Testament of what the picture is and then we want to really begin to apply this to ourselves as Christians. What is God really purposing and wanting to do with your life and mine? Did He just save us so we can be Christians, go to church, sing a few hymns on Sunday, and either wait till we die and go to heaven, or maybe even wait for the rapture to take place? Or is there something more? to this whole story and just to give a quick review we saw last time that God said I've brought you out to bring you in that was his word to the Israelites and of course the details of that we looked at last week they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt and they began to cry out they began to groan in their pain and their bondage and their misery 
God heard their groans and he remembered his promise to Abraham. And he came down, appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and he said, I've seen their misery, I've heard their groanings, and they're crying out, and I'm going to take them out of there with a mighty outstretched arm, and I'm going to bring them into a good land. Repeatedly, God spoke to them years before they ever entered into it about this marvelous land called the land of Canaan. We often refer to it as the promised land. It was a good land flowing with milk and honey. Those were God's words repeatedly. I'm taking them into a good and spacious land that flows with milk and honey. So, he brought them out to take them in. And we're going to look more now at the first part of that. What did they need to come out of? And there were some important steps that they had to go through to fully get out of the bondage and the slavery that they were in. There's no way God could even begin to really speak to them about the place he wanted to take them until he first got them out of Egypt. And three steps we're going to be studying in more detail now that were involved in Israel's complete and total deliverance from Egypt. There was the celebration of the Passover, the shedding of the Passover lamb's blood, and the application of that blood to their doorposts. That was the first step. The second step was to cross through the Red Sea, in which all of Egypt was put to death. And then thirdly, after crossing through the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai, and God met with them and gave them very important instructions and revelations of where he was taking them. And we're going to look at each one of those three parts, first of all from a historical point of view, but then bringing it over into the New Testament, and hopefully with the help of the Holy Spirit and some New Testament scriptures, to see that they correspond to three very real steps in your faith and in my faith. So this is not just a history class. This is to get a picture, and then through the Holy Spirit, to really begin to get a vision of our New Testament salvation. So Israel's journey from Egypt all the way into Canaan is the most amazing picture of our salvation through Jesus Christ and our entrance into the abundant life that he has already prepared, he has already promised for us. And we won't repeat the verses, but we saw last time in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul, writing to the Corinthian Christians, he refers to this story of Egypt coming out of of, of Israel coming out of Egypt, crossing through the Red Sea, 
and coming to Mount Sinai, and he tells us there that this is an example for us. And interestingly, he even used the word baptized when he referred to Moses and the children of Israel and their experience in the Red Sea. They were baptized in the sea and they were baptized in the cloud. Well, we're going to look at two New Testament baptisms, the baptism in water and the baptism in the Holy Spirit that correspond to those Old Testament experiences that the Israelites had. And so, what we're going to be studying these next few weeks is the following. The Passover Lamb, the Red Sea, and Mount Sinai, in the case of the Israelites, born again, born of water, and born of the Spirit, according to John chapter 3, three experiences that you and I need to be able to enter into the kingdom. Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom. But he went on to say you must be born of water and born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom. There's a big difference between seeing a place and entering it. I can see my neighbor's house across the street. That doesn't mean I'm entering it. We can see the kingdom of God when we're born again. But two further steps are needed to help us enter into the kingdom of God, the fullness of all that God has purposed and promised for us. And we're going to start by looking at the Passover. And it's very interesting to begin with a New Testament passage, and then we're going to go back to Exodus 12 and look in a very close way at the original Passover celebration, what it was all about, and why in the world Paul would write these words to New Testament Christians. In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8, and again, remember, Paul's writing to Christians. He's not giving a history lesson now about the journeys of the children of Israel. And here's what he writes. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, or the feast, some Bibles say, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread, without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now you have to know a little bit about the original Passover, and for that, we're eventually going to make our way back to Exodus 12 to even be able to understand what Paul's talking about here. What in the world is he talking about? Yeast, old yeast, keeping a feast or a festival? Well, he's referring back to Exodus 12 and the original Passover that Israel had to keep 
on the night of their deliverance out of Egyptian bondage. They were told by God to get rid of all yeast. They couldn't have any leavened bread in their house. And here Paul comes along centuries later writing to New Testament believers and he says, get rid of the yeast. Well, we'll learn he's not talking about literal bread or literal yeast. And he goes even further and says, we have a Passover feast to keep. Not repeating what Israel did, but our Passover is Christ. He is our Passover lamb. The lamb has already been sacrificed. We now have to learn and understand, what does Paul mean, keep the feast? How are we to keep the feast of the Passover if Christ is the lamb of sacrifice for that feast? More about that later. But I just want to sort of paint this broad picture for you that there is a New Testament Passover that corresponds to the Old Testament Passover. Likewise, we'll read again now from 1 Corinthians 10, where we read last week, Paul uses this word baptized when he's referring to the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, crossing through the Red Sea. But he's obviously pointing us as Christians to something beyond that. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2 again, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers, that's the Israelites, were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. Of course, anybody that knows the Old Testament story, he's referring to the Red Sea, and he's referring to the cloud of God's presence and glory that followed them in their journeys from Egypt to the Promised Land. Here's the amazing part, verse 2. They were all baptized. Now you can read all of the translations. None of them use the word baptism anywhere in reference to Israel coming through the Red Sea or traveling through the wilderness. It's just not there. This is a revelation that God gave the Apostle Paul to communicate primarily with us, the church, that what Israel was going through when they passed through the Red Sea is actually a graphic illustration of water baptism. And you're going to be amazed if you've never seen this before, when we actually look at the details of each one of these events in the Old Testament, it actually happened. It really did happen in history, but God was also painting a much bigger picture for you and for me of what was going to happen in the Spirit as we follow Christ Jesus. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Two different baptisms. Baptized in the cloud and baptized in the sea. We'll find very clearly in the New Testament it speaks of two baptisms. 
Jesus referred to them in John 3 as births, being born of water, born of the Spirit. Well, in other places we'll learn there is a baptism in water and there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus refer to these three experiences as births? Born again, born of water, born of the Spirit. Well, the most logical answer is a birth is the beginning of a new life. Something new that wasn't there before is coming into existence. So when we're born again, when we are baptized in water, and when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we become a whole new creation in Christ. Each one of those steps or experiences is the beginning of a whole new life. And we'll talk a lot more about that when we get there. Again, I'm just trying to give you an outline tonight to begin to see how important this Old Testament picture of Israel coming out of bondage, going into the abundance of the Promised Land, is for you and for me as Christians. And I'll tell you, I'm about to explode with excitement as we're doing this study because this is something very real that God wants us to live, not just to study about or to learn a few scriptures, but I I hope and pray that God can bring each one of us more and more into the revelation that I'm in this journey right now. You're in this journey. You're at some point. Maybe you haven't come out of Egypt yet. Maybe you've just crossed through the Red Sea. Maybe you've just come to Mount Sinai. Or maybe you're beginning to cross the Jordan and enter in to the Promised Land. Each one of us is somewhere along in this journey. And it's a very real journey. And the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us that A, there is a deliverance out of Egypt's bondage, and B, there is an entrance into the abundance of Christ by the grace of God. Thirdly, Israel came to Mount Sinai after this baptism in the Red Sea. At Mount Sinai, we will learn, God came down in His fire, in His glory, and He gave Moses the ten tablets of stone, the I'm sorry, two tablets with the ten laws on them. And he gave a revelation to Moses of this uh, glorious tabernacle, a temporary dwelling place that they were to construct and carry with them as they journeyed into the promised land. Well, again, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we now become the tabernacle, the temple of God. And he goes even further in 2 Corinthians, referring to Moses and the two tablets of stone that he received on Mount Sinai. He says, that's just a picture. The reality is, and I'm quoting now from 2 Corinthians 3, by the Spirit of the living God, God's law is written not on tablets of stone as at Sinai, but on tablets of human 
hearts. So what is recorded in Exodus with Moses and the two tablets of stone, that really happened. It really happened. But something else is really happening. The Holy Spirit is writing laws on our hearts, not on tablets of stone. That was just a picture. That was just a shadow of the reality that we are now coming into through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the promised land. He brought them out to take them in. Obviously, they had to go through all of these steps and experiences to fully get out of Egypt and to get Egypt out of them. They had to leave Egypt. That happened on the night of the Passover. Egypt came after them. And something very significant that a lot of people miss happened at the Red Sea. Egypt was put to death. There was a separation once and for all between the Israelites and Egypt and the Egyptians and their chariots were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. It was a very important step in their complete deliverance out of Egypt. And likewise, a lot of Christians think water baptism is just a ceremony that you do in front of the church so people know that you're now a believer. No, 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 no. When we study water baptism, we're going to find out it is a powerful thing. There is an operation of God's power in a believer's life, and something is put to death. Just as the Egyptians were put to death in the waters of the Red Sea, our old nature of sin is put to death and buried in the waters of baptism. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Promised Land. It has to be emphasized that Israel's deliverance from Egypt through the Passover, through the miracle of the Red Sea, and even their coming to Mount Sinai, that was not the end. That was the beginning. They hadn't entered anything yet. They had just gotten out of Egypt. And a lot of Christians, they may have a miraculous salvation experience drug addict or an alcoholic or a prostitute and they hear about Jesus and they fall down on their knees they repent they receive Christ they're born again then they come into the church they get baptized in water and God fills them with the Holy Spirit and man they've arrived I'm born again baptized in water filled with the Holy Ghost I've arrived. And that's where a lot of Christians stop. Unfortunately, God never intended for that to be the stopping point. That's the beginning. That is literally the beginning now of our journey into. Remember, he brought them out to take them in. That's the beginning of our entering into what God has for us. In the case of Israel, there was a promised land that God had been speaking about for some time, and you can trace it all the way back to Abraham. And because of God's promise to Abraham, 
because he remembered his covenant and because he's now delivered the Israelites out of bondage he is assuring them I'm going to take you into that land that I've prepared for you but you must meet two conditions you have to believe me and you have to obey me and we're gonna keep talking about this faith and obedience were the two keys now to entering in to that land and really the same thing is true for the New Testament believer when we're born again baptized in water baptized in the Holy Spirit <coughs> God has given us the equipment to begin our journey now and we need to understand very clearly where he's taking us what is our promised land are we just waiting around until we die or until Jesus comes so we can go to heaven and sit on a cloud and eat grapes and play a harp or is there something much more significant now and in the life hereafter that he's talking to us about what is our promised land well quite simply it's the sum total of everything God has promised us as believers in Christ and it would take us weeks and weeks to study all of the promises of God and we're gonna to touch on some of them but make no mistake here God has a promised land for you it's promised it's not something we have to struggle and strive and labor for and earn it with our own good deeds or brownie points it's already promised it's already been prepared and let me read to you a scripture that we studied uh, a while back when we looked at second Peter second Peter 1 verse 4 and I'm reading it from the Amplified Bible <clears throat> it says he God has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises just stop and let that sink in these are not little promises these are big promises precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness lust and greed and become sharers partakers of the divine nature now we saw last time the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years to Pharaoh and Egypt you and I were once prisoners and slaves of sin and if you want to you can even look at this whole world system as a picture of Egypt notice what Peter says here through these exceeding great precious promises of God we can escape by flight the world and all of its decay and moral corruption we need to escape this world we need to escape sin and the New Testament is very clear you and I are powerless 
to deliver ourselves out of sin. We were all born into sin, and therefore we're all sinners. Jesus affirms that in John 8, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. And Romans 3 is very clear, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we're all in Egypt. We're all just like the Israelites, in bondage, crying out, groaning, miserable, wanting to be set free, but we don't know how to do it. And Peter says, God has bestowed on us precious and exceedingly great promises. Let me tell you something tonight. God has promised beyond anything in your wildest dreams. The Bible says He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, you know I'm going to do this, what's all? All that we can ask or think. Let me put it to you in my own words. You can go wild in your dreams, in your imaginations, in your prayers, God's already topped that. We need to find out what is this promised land? What are these precious and exceeding great promises that God has made to us? Do you understand, for instance, that when God saved you, He wants to completely transform your whole life so that when He's done with you, you are conformed to the very image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's an exceeding great promise. Do you understand that God's ultimate plan for you is not just for you to squeak your way into heaven somehow, it's so that you can sit on the throne with Jesus Christ married to him as his bride for all eternity. The, I mean, these are off-the-chart, wild things that God has already promised for us. And he wants us first, as it indicates here, to escape. And it's very interesting, and we're going to come back to this in Exodus 12. Peter says, escape by flight. You got to run. You got to fly out of there. And we'll see that when Israel left Egypt, they left in haste. They literally left by flight, all in one night. We have to escape sin, moral decay, rottenness, corruption, all of the stuff that's in this world that is not of God. We have to escape that so that, and that I'm quoting again from 2 Peter 1 4 so that we become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. You have to ponder that one. God wants us to share, partake in His actual nature. Not just to know a little bit about God, Yes, we are called to worship God, to love God, to honor God, to serve God, but we're actually called to partake in His very nature. He made Adam and Eve in His own image and likeness, and God is in the process now of restoring us to that place where we can share 
in his divine nature. I didn't say he's going to make us gods. We're not going to become the fourth or the fifth or the sixth member of the Trinity, but we are becoming like Christ. We're sharing in his glory, in his character, in his divine nature. Here's another scripture that I think helps to open up your mind to what is this promised land that God wants to take me into. John 10.10, a very well-known verse, and I'll again be reading it from the Amplified. Jesus said, the thief, we all know that's the devil, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. Man, he's busy doing that in the world today, isn't he? I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Thus the title of our Bible study, Out of Bondage into Abundance. In these past weeks, I have been earnestly praying and seeking God and saying, Lord, I see it in the Word. you got to take us into it now. You promised us an abundant, overflowing life. We want that. We want to enjoy this abundant life that you spoke about, that you promised. And if we're doing something wrong, if we're missing something, speak to us help us, but we want to enter fully in to the abundance that you have prepared, provided, and promised for us. Alright, much more on all of these things. I'm just painting a broad picture here to sort of whet your appetite and start to get your mind and your heart and your spirit going here. Let's go on. There are some other interesting passages in the Old and New Testaments that sound very similar, where the Old Testament writer is referring to Israel, the New Testament writer is obviously referring to Christians in the church, believers in Jesus Christ. But again, if you understand that Israel in the Old Testament was a picture of what God now wants to do through Christ, if you will, they were a type and a shadow. We are now enjoying the reality of what God wants to do. Here's an example. Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6. These are words that God spoke when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai. About 50 days after they left Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai God came down in His fire and His glory. The whole mountain was shaking. Moses goes up, gets the law. He comes back down. His face is shining. You know the story. But here are some <clears throat> very important words that God communicates with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. He didn't say this to them in Egypt. He didn't even say this to them at the Red Sea. This is now a message for them at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, 4-6. to 6. 
you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully remember I said there are gonna be two keys that we're looking at here faith and obedience note the word if it's conditional if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites okay a kingdom of priests <clears throat> and a holy nation chosen out of all nations to be God's treasured possession now turn to first Peter 2 in the New Testament Peter writing to Christians note the similarity in these words first Peter 2 9 and 10 but you Christians are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light oh my goodness stop right there out and in called you out of darkness to take you into his wonderful light once you were not a people you were like the Israelites in Egypt a bunch of slaves once you were not a people but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy is this just a coincidence or do you believe that Peter writing under the anointing and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he knew the Old Testament well he knew the story of Israel's exodus coming to Mount Sinai I'm sure he knew these verses very well from Exodus 19 and basically what Peter is saying that happened then now we are God's chosen people we are his royal priests we are his holy nation we are his treasured possession a people belonging to God and just as God called them out of Egypt into Canaan he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light <clears throat> in the same way that Israel was called to inherit the land that God had promised them so the Christian is called to inherit God's promises that word is very important inherit the promised land was their inheritance 
And when you get saved, and when you take water baptism, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you make a covenant that you're going to follow Christ with your whole life, God now has an inheritance for you. And get a couple of scriptures that actually use this word in the New Testament. First of all, Acts 13.19. Paul here is referring to Israel coming out of Egypt and going into Canaan. He says, He, that's God, overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. This land wasn't for the nations. I don't care what politicians are trying to say or do today. This land was not for all of the nations to divide up and fight over. This land was for his people. Very plain, very clear. God was making Israel his special chosen people at Mount Sinai, and he begins to reveal to them they have an inheritance. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land of Canaan. Now, Look in the New Testament at what God has promised for you and me. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. We do not want you, Christians, to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, faith is important, remember, who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. God wants us to literally inherit His promises. And one of the devil's first and favorite techniques is just to keep Christians ignorant of the promises. If you never read the Bible if you never get into a Bible study where you learn what these promises are, then you don't even know what your inheritance is. You know, they have multiplied millions of dollars that were left to people through inheritances that have never been claimed. And each state has to keep these monies in accounts for a certain number of years in hopes that the heir finally comes forward and says, hey, that was my grandpa or my great-uncle Harry. He left that for me? Six million dollars? Wow, I never knew I had an inheritance. Well, a lot of Christians don't know what their inheritance is. If we study it out, then we'll understand God wants me to inherit what has been promised to me. And in Second. Corinthians 1 and 20, everybody knows this one. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I love that verse. Whatever promise you can find that God made to you, it's not maybe. It's not, well, sort of, kind of, not sure, depends on how good you are. They're all yes. And when you realize that every promise of God is yes, then 
we do the next part. So through him, the amen is spoken by us. That's our response to God. So when you see a promise in God's word, then your response is, Amen, God. So be it. Bring that promise into reality in my life. I want to inherit that promise. I don't know about you, when I read about being more than a conqueror through Christ, I want that. I want to be more than a conqueror. I want every enemy under my feet. I want to live in victory. I may not be there yet, but I know it's promised me, and I'm going to keep pressing, claiming, praying, believing, and seeking until I inherit that promise. These promises are for us to inherit. Now, one last point I want to close with, and this is very, very important. And we're going to talk a lot about this in coming weeks. Throughout this past month and a half, particularly during our 21-day fasting and prayer, God was speaking to me over and over and over about this. One of the pictures that is painted for us in the Old Testament of Israel leaving Egypt and entering into the Promised Land is explained for us in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And it is the following. For them, entering into the promised land was to enter God's rest. Remember those words, because we're going to talk a lot about entering God's rest. This is something that God was ministering to me about all throughout our fasting and prayer. Enter into my rest. I want you to enter into my rest. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean just go to sleep? No. Does it mean don't do anything? No. Well, what does it mean? Well, we read a number of scriptures last week where God was telling the children of Israel long before they entered the promised land, the place where I'm taking you is very different from the place you have come out of. And I'm not going to take you to the scriptures again, but we saw a number of references in the book of Deuteronomy where God told them, I'm taking you out of bondage into a good land. It's a land with large, flourishing cities. Listen to these words. Cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. No work involved. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. So entering into Canaan is entering into God's rest. It's a place where God has done everything for you. I don't know about you, but I like finding out that there's a city already built for me. There's a house already built for me in that city. The house is already furnished. There's a well out back. I don't need to dig it. It's already dug. 
There are vineyards and olive groves already producing fruit. I don't have to lift a finger. Well, I do to pluck the olives off the tree or to pick the grapes. Everything's already done for me. That's the picture of Canaan. In another place, God told them, I'm taking you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, wheat, barley, milk, honey. Everything's just flowing there for you. And here's my favorite one, which I think really highlights the difference between life in Egypt, where they had to work and sweat and labor as slaves for everything, and life in Canaan, where everything's already done for them. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. You had to do all the work when you were in Egypt. You had to plow the ground, plant the seed, and even operate uh, a pump with your feet to bring up water to water your crops. But when you go into the promised land, it is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. And I believe with all of my heart, God is not just giving us a Bible study here. His word to us as a church is He wants us to enter into His rest. And man, when Prophet Brian started speaking on Sunday about the year 2015 being the year of rest, I almost exploded. I almost shot through the roof. I had no idea that's what he was teaching or or what God had laid on his heart. But I want to tell you something. God is going to be doing some amazing things, just like he did for the children of Israel, where houses are already provided, cities are already built, gardens are already planted. And I'm not just talking about material or financial provision. It goes way beyond that. There's a spiritual promised land that we don't enter into by our own sweat. It's through grace. It's through faith. It's simply trusting and obeying, and God has already pre-planned and pre-provided, if that's even a word, all that's in there. And when you do that, you enter into His rest. Now, bear with me a few more minutes here. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. I would strongly urge you, study the two chapters. We're going to read portions of it. But study those two chapters very carefully. Because they talk about God's promise to Israel and God's promise to us to enter His rest. We're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 3 and then read the first 11 verses of chapter 4. Hebrews 3, verses 18 and 19. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest, 
talking about the Israelites, if not to those who what? Who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. I would underline two words there. Disobeyed, unbelief. And in coming Bible studies, we're going to learn about the seven nations, the walled cities, the giants, and all that stuff that was in the promised land that the children of Israel had to conquer and dispossess. But the Bible is very clear. Those seven nations, the giants, the walled cities, is not what kept them from entering God's rest. They kept themselves from entering in. How? Through their own disobedience and through their own unbelief. Now, okay, that's a good history lesson. Maybe we can learn a few things from what happened to Israel. But chapter 4 takes this thing to a whole different level. Follow carefully. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Bold letters. Underline it in your Bible. The promise of entering His rest still stands. God has promised rest for me. God has a promise for His people, for His church, to enter His rest. Well, we need to understand what that means and we will be studying that, but it's very clear. A promise of entering His rest still stands today. This is an Old Testament now. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. You Christian, you believer in Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews saying, be very careful that you don't repeat what happened to Israel and miss out on what God's already promised you. Don't fall short of entering God's rest. Verse 2, For we, we Christians, we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Underline that word. Faith. They didn't combine faith with the good news, with the message they were hearing. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Oh, come on, Pastor. It can't be that simple. Yes, it can. We who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they, that's Israel, shall never enter my rest. And yet, his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere... Well, we know where that somewhere is. It's in Genesis 1. 
Somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. Follow this. He's making a very powerful point. Rest is when you stop working. Some of you are saying, Oh, hallelujah! I can quit my job. I don't have to clean my room anymore. I don't have to take the trash out. Well, not so fast. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest, referring to Israel. It still remains that some, hopefully you and me, will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Two reasons. Unbelief and disobedience. You and I can enter in how? By faith and by obedience. Verse 7. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And here comes the kicker. Verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Didn't say you won't be doing any work. King James uses the word cease. It means we cease from our own work, our own plans, our own ambitions, our own agendas. You know what it is that's frustrating us and getting us all stressed out and all worn out? We're still trying to do a lot of our own stuff. And it's wearing us down, and rather than us finding rest, we're having heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure, and all the rest. This is the an American uh, epidemic now. People are so stressed out. Millions of Americans. I, I heard just recently, I think something like 30 to 60 million Americans can't sleep at night. They have no rest. No peace. All kinds of sleeping pills and medications. Nobody can rest. Well, a lot of Christians have no rest because they're still doing their own works. What is it talking about? Well, let me finish this and then I'll answer that. Verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort. Well, that seems to be a, an oxymoron. How can you rest and put forth a lot of effort? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example 
of disobedience. We need to concentrate our efforts not on trying to make our own dreams come true, make our own ambitions a reality, work our own stuff out. We need to work hard at A, finding out what it is that God's promised for us, B, inherit it by faith, and C, be very, very careful to listen to what God is saying. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So our real effort is in finding out what God promised for us, entering into those promises by faith, inheriting those promises, and the whole while listening to God, finding out what God is saying to us and obeying Him. And certainly, He's going to start to put His finger on areas of our lives where we don't have rest. We're stressed out, we're worried, we're fearful, we're anxious, we're sweating, we're doing all kinds of stuff, but we feel frustrated, we feel like we're not accomplishing anything, and in the end, quite frankly, we don't. We don't produce anything at all, because it's our own efforts. Summarizing this, and we're going to keep coming back to this theme of entering rest, but summarizing this, the promise of entering rest was given to the Israelites. They were going to go into a land very different from the land of slavery. Things already built for them, wells already dug, drinking the rain from heaven, a land flowing with milk and honey, just a place of abundance. All they had to do was obey God and trust God, and it was all theirs. God has left you and me with a promise of entering into <coughs> his rest. He says, cast all your care on me, for I care for you. God wants us to start bringing our cares, bringing our burdens, bringing our fears and anxieties, laying them on Him, and then understanding, wow, I can be carefree, because God cares for me. He's already got me covered. He already knows how I'm going to make it through 2015. So therefore, I'm declaring, with Prophet Brian, 2015 is officially the year of rest. Now, we need to find out and be very careful to enter into that rest through faith, through obedience, through listening carefully to the voice of God. Next time, we're going to go back and really look carefully at the first step out the Passover. It's a powerful study. And if you've never looked at this closely, you're going to be amazed at how every detail in Exodus 12 speaks something to us about Christ and about our experience in coming out of sin and coming out of bondage to serve God and to enter in to that promised land. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you have plans for us. You have a 
a journey. You have a program just as you had for your people Israel under the Old Covenant. You have a plan for us. And it's not just to get us out of trouble. It's not just to get us out of the bondage of sin. But you want to bring us into a place and a life of overflowing abundance. A place of rest. A place where we're free from care, from worry. And Lord, I pray that as we move along through this Bible study, you would encourage and help each and every one of us to enter into your rest. That we would lay aside our cares, our burdens, our works, our ambitions. We would embrace your will for our lives. We would listen carefully for your voice. And we would trust you. Lord, help us to trust and obey, for there is no other way. Grant us the faith. Grant us the obedience that we may enter in to this land flowing with milk and honey. We want to inherit every promise of God. Lord, bless everyone on this phone line, on the internet tonight, others who may be tuning in at a later date. God, I pray that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to the nations and that many in these last days would combine faith with that gospel message and thereby enable us to enter into this rest that you have promised and prepared for us. God, seal these words now in our hearts. Give us revelation. Give us deeper understanding through the illumination of your Holy Spirit of just what it is that you have purposed and planned to do in our lives. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, we praise you. Amen and amen.